Hi, my name is Christian Angemeyer. I'm uh, the founder of Atai Life Sciences and the founder of my own investment firm, Apiron Investment Group. And you are listening to Professionally Psychedelics. Hello, listener, and welcome to the Professionally Psychedelics podcast. I am absolutely honoured to say that joining the pod today is serial entrepreneur and investor Christian Angermeyer. With a diverse portfolio across fintech, crypto, life sciences, media, entertainment and more, Christian is a true leader in spotting unique business opportunities and driving these organisations forward. As the primary lead investor in Compass Pathways, founder of Atai Life Sciences and Apiron Investment Group, Christian is the perfect person to talk everything psychedelics in 2022. With all this in mind, there's only one thing left to say. Christian, welcome to the Professionally Psychedelics podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's an absolute pleasure. And Christian, as you all know, our first and customary question on the pod is, what led you to the plant or perhaps more aptly, plant medicines? In my case, it was actually sort of, I was pushed there. I was different than many other people. I was not looking for something. I was not searching for healing. I actually have the luck, uh, and I know that it's a very unusual thing to say, that uh, I sort of was always in my life uh, pretty happy, um, sort of. I would say at the end, I think I credit my parents the most uh, for my sort of very normal country uh, side upbringing. Um, so uh, I did actually never do anything which is considered a drug, meaning outside of coffee and sugar, maybe. Like so, like I, I never tried alcohol. Um, I um, I never smoked a joint. I never took cocaine or whatever. So mm-hmm, I was completely. Mm-hmm. I think the English term is teetotaler. And then in 2013, uh, I had the pleasure, really accidentally, so to say, or, or randomly, at a dinner. Friend seated me next to um, Rainer Spannagel. So big shout out. Yeah, he's a German neuroscientist, um, very much involved also with uh, psychedelics, uh, which I didn't know back then. And they made a joke and said, oh, Reiner is very, very good with the brain and drug research, whatever. He can loosen you up a bit um, and you finally could drink a glass of wine with us. (laughs) It's not that I think one glass of alcohol is going to kill me. It's just what I really don't like with alcohol, why I never tried it, is the social pressure. Because once people know that you're not absolutely not doing it, they really, really bother you. And I hate that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, look, this is the reason. So I'm not going to try it, even if obviously this guy will tell me yeah, that it's not really bad. I mean, it is bad, but like not one glass of it. Anyway, so but I was like, I'm always interested in how can I become a better person? How can I become smarter? Like in, in sort of all the nootropics, uh, if you want to say that. Right? So I was like, I want to sit next to the guy and learn about the brain. And so we had this fascinating discussion. We went to all of the drugs legally and illegally what do they do what are they good for what are they bad for and practically the conclusion of reiner on this evening was uh okay everything you think is bad is actually bad alcohol is the worst um and then there is this group of psychedelics which have practically in the right way administered with guides whatever but in the right set and setting psychedelics have practically no downside but have these massive upside of curing mental health issues. So my answer was like, but I don't have a mental health issue, so so I don't want to do it. Yeah, and he was like, no, you should try. And, uh, and I was like, no, no, really, no, thank you. And then he started me over the next 12 months after that dinner, he sent me all his research and he actually uh, had worked before with legendary Hoffman who invented uh, LSD, so he's really deep in the scene. And I started reading on it because as you mentioned in the introduction, 
biotech is one of my sort of core areas of investment. So I can read studies and there were plenty of them in the last, uh, in the last century. Uh, so it was pretty legit. I was like, okay, this guy is somehow right. I can't see any downside and I can see massive, massive upside, but I still was of the opinion. I don't need it. It's like, it's good for maybe for other people, but not for me. And then, and I'm personally very spiritual. So I do think things happen at the right time. If you have an open heart and an open mind. So one year later in 2014, I was with my best friends, Landon and Julian in the Caribbean. They are pretty hippie. So they had, um, uh, mushrooms, real mushrooms. Like I saw it, it looked like a mushroom. It was dried mushrooms and they're really super smart as well. So I, I knew that they grow, have had grown uh, those mushrooms themselves. And I was like, okay, I read so much about it. And now my best friends are standing in front of me with these mushrooms in their hand. That is kind of a sign. This is really how my, so how I Serendipitous. Or how I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, let's do it. Um, so we did it. And uh, I mean, I said it so many times on podcasts before, it was really, really hands down the single most meaningful, important, moving thing of my whole life. And when I came out of it, literally my first thought was like, holy shit, if it's doing this amount of positivity to me as a healthy and very happy person, actually, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can totally understand what kind of benefit um, it gives to people who really come from a, from a darker place and need it. Um, and that was sort of the, the start where then when I started thinking about why is that actually legal? So I learned all about the history. Yeah. Um, could it be medically available? Everybody said no. So, and by the way, this is a time before Michael Pollan. Yeah. This is a time before anything. So mm -hmm. I'm very, very proud that practically in this century for the medical use, obviously people did it recreationally, but like, yeah, but, uh, and there was science still. So I, I didn't invent that stuff, obviously, but like what I'm proud of that everybody I met, people who were doing it happily recreationally or the big scientists said, look, that's where it is. We can do science. People can do it recreationally, but it will never, ever have a future again in the medical space. And I was like, that's crazy. This is one of the best things I've ever done or the best thing. Yeah, there must be a future for it. Um, and that was sort of the, the start of the thought process for which ultimately led me to seed and uh, seed fund in the first investor in Compass and then creating a tie as the big mental health platform. And you touched upon in your journey there that it culminated in your investment and sort of lead contribution into Compass Pathways. Could you give our listeners a, a little bit of a flavor as to the, the sort of form of the organization and sort of what it looked like in those early days once you had invested in the organization? I know a lot of people will be familiar with Compass Pathways uh, as this uh, incredibly impressive and, and huge organization, but I'd love to get a little bit of thoughts on what it was like. It was just George and Katya like, at the very beginning, like, uh, and then I brought uh, Lars Wilde. Uh, the third co-founder of Compass to the table. And by the way, it's very because like, uh, I guess that uh, a lot of listeners sort of are a little bit also like in the same spiritual or serendipity camp. Yeah, because the, actually what led me ultimately to meet George Goldsmith and, and Katya from, from Compass was again, extremely, um, extremely serendipitous, I think is the English word. Um, because what had happened was like I, I till actually uh, end of 2016, so like sort of in the first two and a half years of my mushroom and psychedelics journey, um, I kept it kind of quiet. So I told it my friends yeah, because it's so amazing, but I wouldn't have told it to business partners mm -hmm. and I wouldn't mm -hmm. have told it to the world. Yeah. And then I had end of 2016, uh, actually one day before New Year's Eve, 
um, I had a, again an amazing trip, and you you know, and I guess a lot of listeners know, like you, you learn something. You always have things you take away from the trip, and mm-hmm. um, and um, and sort of the big message, and I will never forget of this trip was like you don't need to be afraid of uh, talking about it. Um, so go out, talk to your friends, but talk to everybody like it's a good topic so it's not something you sort of should should hide so and then after literally that holiday i my first trip brought me to new york uh, and literally my first meeting in new york of the new year was mike novokratz very dear friend and i go into this meeting and mike is sort of this warm loving character who's always like hey what's up what's new in life and i was thinking that's it that's sort of my uh my first start into the new year to 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 sort of fulfill the mission i was like mike have you ever thought about magic mushrooms lately and he was like no like thought about the last time uh, about them in college um, so we spent two hours where i told him all i had learned and experienced with, uh, with mushrooms and he was fascinated and I, he, he was like i haven't thought and talked and whatever about it since more than 20 years the next morning it's not uh, exaggerated the next morning he calls me and said christian this is the weirdest sort of coincidence or serendipity, however you want to call it, I've ever had, because you're sitting in my office yesterday telling me all about mushrooms, uh, which I haven't thought about for 20 years. And this morning on Tuesday, um, his sister called him, who was on a, on a yoga retreat in Bali. And in the yoga session, she had met George and Katya, who told her that they are thinking about starting something about mental health and, and magic mushrooms oh, wow. but nobody in the world wants to finance it because everybody thinks they're crazy <laughs> so 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 the sister of mike thought maybe my brother mike is crazy enough um positively crazy and and, and connected them and he was like i want to connect you to christian because you're both in london or you're also in london and that's how i met uh george and katia so if i hadn't had the the trip end of 2016 with the mission to be open about it and tell people about it i would have never met George and Katya, and most likely, because my contribution was that I was the crazy guy who said, I, I'm going to give you the money. Yeah, maybe Compass would have never started, yeah, because they were looking for funding and everybody regarded it as too crazy. That was the start of Compass. And it was literally us three yeah, at my kitchen table. Uh, then I suggested to meet Lars, who's a very dear colleague, um, as sort of the third co-founder, and he joined them, and then Compass took off. And once the investment's in and the company is formed, what what do you think was most pivotal to the, well, I guess the the the, the, the fast growth that the organisation has had and the amazing steps it has taken? What 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 do you think was the sort of critical success factor for for an organisation like Compass to, I guess, start breaking the long-held taboos that psychedelics uh, have that, had. That, that, that's very clear that's maybe not what everybody wants to hear in the, in the psychedelic community but this is what what george uh, uh especially as the ceo deserves an enormous amount of credit was to absolutely focus it on the medical use mm-hmm. making clear from the beginning this is not about legalization this is about medical use with a therapist so on the under supervision of a of a of a professional guide, mm-hmm. yeah, and and that it's extremely science based. Why is this so important? Because this was the only way to make regulators and politicians, but the most important sort of stakeholders are the regulators, open for the idea. So the core meeting, I think I remember correctly, with the FDA was end of 2017, and they were extremely sort of open because. George 
and me and others are not the next Timothy I deeply, deeply believe these drugs, by the way, this is how they were always used in history, were with shamans in a guided setting. They were always extremely regulated. If you read the ancient texts, the shamans allowed it just once or twice a year in an extremely ceremonial, structured way. Sort of ordinary people couldn't access it, like it was, it was actually punishable with death to reveal the the secrets of the Eleusinian mysteries. So, and it's the right thing because these 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 compounds, these therapeutics, are extremely powerful. They they can be extremely positive, but set and setting is sort of an important part. And then actually even more like the whole aftercare preparation and then integration after. Yeah, and sort of the '60s, where I know a lot of sort of people in the psychedelic community referred to, yeah, but there it was like everywhere and it was sort of given out, whatever. The 60s were an anomaly in the history of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not the standard. Yeah. And so I, I, for both reasons, so A, really for how I believe these drugs should be administered. I'm very lot of in the ancient tradition that it should be very regulated, ceremonial, structured, guided. And then it was also clear coming to the sort of fact of the world, like how the world is, that uh, practically the regulator would have never ever allowed Compass to to go forward or anybody else. Yeah, if we had said, oh, this should be like legalized and sold like Smarties. Uh, right. So, um, so it sort of needed the le le yeah. legitimization yeah, of exactly. data so, and research and whatnot. Yes. Yeah. So 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 George in person and then Compass as a company gave the regulators the security that there is something very legit who's doing it in a very scientific way and who's doing it for the people who need it, which are the people with mental health issues, yeah, and not for the sort of partygoers or whatever. Yeah. So so everything Compass did was extremely sort of proper, solid, grounded in research. And that actually made sort of regulators for the first time in decades open to allow A, the trials and to sort of see the path to approval. And you, you touched upon uh, traditional indigenous uses of, of psychedelics, which I'd love to, uh, I'd love for us to get onto a little bit later on. But sort of keeping on the theme of your early experiences with Compass. Now, what Christian, what learnings do you think you, you took from the early days uh, with Compass? And, and how did you apply these to a Thai life sciences and the, the, the growth approach you, you had for, for this organization and ultimately the vision for a Thai as well? Well, so the, the, the biggest learning was sort of this focus uh, on ritualist clinical trials and on the medical use. Yeah. The second thing, which Compass also did extremely well, um, and which is, again, I know in the, and I want to explain it in the psychedelic community, not without critique, is they, uh, they completely um, uh, saved or they completely own the space for psilocybin, so the ingredient in magic mushrooms, by having an extremely broad patent portfolio around psilocybin. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I would say, like to my knowledge, like as far as I can see, the uh, the, the sort of the, the sector, there won't be any other psilocybin company possible because Compass sort of has secured from uh, from the the patent on the on the uh, manufacturing of the of the the, the, the synthetic psilocybin till all the data exclusivity around like gazillions of uh, of indications. So Compass secured the space and owns, so psilocybin is Compass, Compass is psilocybin. So there is, I know there are a lot of other companies who, who think they can sort of kind of do something, but from my uh, view as a professional investor, like it won't be possible because they did that really, really well, uh, really, really thoroughly. And it is important, although I know some people are feel uncomfortable 
because that is the only way to raise the capital, which Compass did and later on as I did, yeah, uh, to have sort of the capital fully funded through for uh, all these clinical trials you need to do to get it to approval. So biotech is a capital intense business. Uh, you need to raise hundreds of millions mm-hmm. per drug, like in, for example, Atai, yeah, uh, we have uh, more than 11 drugs at the moment on our platform. And the only way investors are giving you that is if you can prove and, and promise them that if you're successful, which I deeply, deeply believe that these drugs work and that you're going to be successful, yeah, then they're going to have obviously a very good return on their invested capital. And the only way to do that is with patents in the biotech, in the medical space. Um, having said that, just one more sentence, because maybe some people say, no, Jesus, yeah, this is very capitalistic, that does, <laughs> that, which it is, by the way, which it is, because that's the, the framework we, we, we're moving in. But that does obviously not, um, not uh, in any way touch if somebody is growing mushrooms at home or if, if some indigenous people. So, so we have, so Compass for psilocybin, a type for all the other psychedelics, we have the, the, the patents around the synthetic version of these drugs for medical use case. Yeah. George or I will never knock on somebody's door and say, oh, I see you have a grow kit for uh, magic mushrooms. Yeah, pay me royalty. Yeah. And I think that was people mixing it up. It's just like, but for the medical sector, for the synthetic version, we do have sort of the, a vast uh, patent portfolio. We meets compass and a tie. So that I would actually always cockily say a bit that practically the psychedelic sector more or less is compass and a tie plus maybe some service companies around like clinic models, uh, whatever, but like on the drug development therapeutic side, it's practically just compass and a tie from my point of view, who have a legit future because they have the patents, because what you're going to see at the moment, and I'm already seeing that because they contact us, yeah, is that many, many of these small uh, companies who raised money in the hype, but who never had the patent portfolio can't get follow on financing because it's easy to raise 10 million in a hype but it's not easy to raise 100 million yeah, actually when biotech is in a in a rather rather choppy situation because for 100 million investors are looking into your business model for 10 million a lot of these companies raised money and nobody ever looked do they really have patents how do they want to get around compass patents which they can't yeah, anyway so so what i'm saying is there is there going to be a lot of uh, sort of actually um uh, uh, really companies closing down because they realize a we can't get the funding because we can't have we don't have the patent yeah so it doesn't make sense and christian perhaps building on that you know as is the nature of nascent fast growth industries there are new psychedelic companies popping up all over the place where where in the industry do you think is the the greatest need for for more innovation I, hopefully I'm not too okay what is the English term in a nice way because I'm very proud of what we're doing but I think uh, Atai and Compass, and you know Atai still owns uh, uh, 23% of, of Compass. Um, so, uh, so, so always when I say we, I mean Atai and Compass together, we are extremely innovative. Yeah, from patents to digital therapeutics, we think sort of, and we have, I just can repeat that, not because I want to sort of rub it in, because I think it's, it's existentially important that we have the funding. Like we, Atai raised more than $650 million in the last three years, yeah, encompass hundred million or more. And we need that. And it's not that I'm sitting there and like, oh my God, this is so awesome per se. It's awesome because we have the capital now to really develop these therapeutics and bring them to the patient. So that is the only goal we have is like none of these uh, compounds is kind of worth anything, neither economically, but also not emotionally or from a humanitarian side. 
if we're not getting them to approval. Because a lot of people who sit out there and say, oh, why do you need patents, whatever, these are the ones who go to Mexico, who can afford it. They go to Tulum. And yes, I also have been yeah, in the Caribbean and did it myself. Yeah, But I know that I'm like 0.1% of the world population who both has the money to go to somewhere, but also like the impetus, because I'm not depressive. I'm doing it to to make my life even more beautiful. But people who are depressive, people who have post-traumatic stress disorder, who have anxiety, they won't go somewhere with a shaman, even if they could afford it. Yeah, not talking about the money. Yeah, they need it with their doctor in the medical system who actively tells them this is what you're going to do now because it's the right thing for you. And again, the only thing to do that is get it to approval. So that is our one and only sort of guiding uh, spirit. How do we get all of these therapeutics because they're all worth it. They all work. How do we get them to approval? And Christian, perhaps now to to focus a little bit on your 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 own in investment de- decision making. Now, when you're assessing companies in perhaps this industry or, or or others, how do you how do you separate the the wheat from the chaff, so to speak? And sort of what type of company and in what stage of its life cycle do you really like to invest in and, and why? Well, so so let's look at what, what, what could be out there. Let's start with the with the universe. Mm-hmm, so the mm-hmm. universe, from my point of view, can be, there's simplified three groups. So there is group number one are the, let's call it, first generation psychedelics, like mushrooms, DMT, uh, ibogaine, salvia, whatsoever. So that's group number one. So let's call it drug development, medical drug development with first generation psychedelics. Then group number two could be uh, drug development with so-called second generation psychedelics. So people can make new psychedelics. Yeah. For example, maybe famous uh, Sasha Shulgin made hundreds of them. Yeah. Um, so you can go to a medicinal chemist and say, let's design new ones. And then group number three are service companies around the therapeutic use of psychedelics. For example, very obvious clinic models. Once a tie and compass are successful, we need a vast amount more of therapists from individual therapists to clinic models or mm-hmm. people who develop some apps which work together well in the in the post-integration, whatever. Let's call it so the service businesses around the therapeutics. For the for the let's go back to the first generation psychedelics, I really, really believe Compass and Atai are if I had to put a number on it, my gut feeling is we're 90% of the market or more. Yeah. Or the other way around, if somebody tells me, oh, can I pitch you a company who does something with psilocybin, with any of the with DMT, ibogaine, whatever, it can't be because, I can repeat it, we own all the patents. And I do think we did it really, really thoroughly. Yeah. Uh, so I was running around and, and sort of creating it and, uh, and, and partly uh, buying it with a tie. Uh, and that was the only one. And I don't think we were we were dumb. So we had an amazing team with or have with Floria and Srini um, and, and the entire Thai team. And our one and only mission at the beginning was let's get a broad patent portfolio around those first generation psychedelics, which makes sense in a clinical setting. That's also very important because we actually looked at some psychedelics uh, and while I might personally like them, we didn't see the place for them in a medical world. Yeah, so we didn't do it. So this is why I say maybe Compass and Atai together is 90% of the market share, a potential future market share for first-generation psychedelics because maybe we didn't do one or the other thing deliberately. Maybe there is a niche somebody could explore. Yeah, but vast majority is Compass and Atai, full stop, and there is no no way around. So 
would I invest in something which claims to do something in first generation psychedelics? No, because the probability is very high that, uh, that this will not work out because mm -hmm. they're going to hit the pattern. So then you have the second generation psychedelics. Yeah, this is new uh, design of, of new drugs. That is very interesting. By the way, this is what Atai is doing additionally. So Atai at the moment... And, and here you're talking about sort of synthetic compounds and, and whatnot. Synthetic right? compounds, which are really new, where you try to like, yeah, really create new molecules which have a psychedelic, um, uh, which have a psychedelic uh, experience, but maybe are shorter acting, have other properties. Yeah, it's really sort of creativity uh, is open for, for what you come up with. Um, and so that is very interesting. Why don't we talk about it? Because this is 10 years away from, from market entry. So if you design a new chemical uh, drug, yeah, the great thing is you have full patents because it's yours, you made it. Yeah, but then you need to go all the way, yeah, which sort of drug development normally has to go, which we were able to shortcut with the first generation psychedelics because in the first, with the first generation of psychedelics, we knew they're working, we knew they're safe. So we were able to shortcut all these so-called preclinical work uh, we were able partly to shortcut phase one, partly we jumped into phase two directly, partly we at least started phase one. But all the preclinical work takes years with an S. Yeah. So, so yes, there will be in 10 years, we're going to sit here and there will be amazing new psychedelic compounds. Um, but then I look out and I see companies formed around them at valuations where I'm like, this is crazy because like Atai has more than 20, I think, of them already. Yeah, but we don't even talk about them because they're so far away from from the clinic. Yeah, so I, nobody can do it quicker. That's how drug development works. So, so yes. So, but I do look at some smart, uh, for example, we invest in Delix. Uh, we is then my family office at Pyron. Um, so we do some of these uh, new generation stuff, but really just if we think it's an awesome team because it's a it's a long way to go. Um, and then the third one, which is great, is, is, is service models. So we invest in clinics. Uh, we, again, are Pyron, not a Thai. So we have a, a Pyron. My family office has a dedicated uh, venture fund, which is called Remind, which investing in sort of all sorts of mental health, not just psychedelics, by the way. It, it would look at new, uh, new design of psychedelics, as I said. We're looking at service models around psychedelics. But there are also very interesting drugs which are non-psychedelic, there is brain-computer interface. So Remind has a broad view on actually what's happening in our brain and how can we sort of ensure that people are happy and healthy. So also Alzheimer would fall into the Remind mandate, dementia, neurodegenerative diseases whatsoever. And Christian, as our time starts drawing uh, a little bit closer to the end, perhaps a final question for you. Now, earlier you mentioned about shamans and sort of traditional indigenous uses of, of psychedelics. Now, looking into the sort of landscape we're in now, psychedelics, psychedelics are back in the mainstream. There is a huge amount of work development around bringing psychedelics into the modern medical model as well. Whilst we are doing this and, and whilst we're in a sort of new psychedelic renaissance, what, what do you believe are the sort of key learnings and takeaways from traditional indigenous uses of, of psychedelics that should be maintained or perhaps even paid homage to in this new medical model of, of psychedelic use? I think that's a multifaceted topic. So let's start with the last what you said, uh, uh, paid homage to, for sure. Yeah. So And we have uh, our own foundation at high impact. Uh, where one of um, where one of the goals is to give back and support 
indigenous cultures and use cases uh, because sort of in generally by the way uh, we as i said at the beginning of the podcast yeah uh, we're standing on the shoulders of giants here of recent ones and of sort of some thousand years ago so that's a uh, so in, and i'm personally extremely interested i invest also a lot uh, personally in research um, around uh, both the history of psychedelics and and also what can we learn from it so having said that i think there is also, I don't want to say at risk, it's just, it's just a neutral remark that we always tend to glorify the past and the unknown, yeah, and don't see that also these traditions have changed and, and sort of have adopted. And what I want to say is that it's important that a patient, and again, we always should have the patient in mind because these are the people who really need it and and this is also like, from my point of view, the biggest problem and will be, is already will be the biggest problem of the world is the, is the mental health pandemic. We're going to see that after COVID, that number is going to skyrocket. It's already the biggest sort of disease or group of diseases. And it's going to be, and it, it has, I was just titled, I also really believe and I'm really worried about it, mm-hmm. that sort of the mental health pandemic is not just a human tragedy for every single patient, but it also has so much collateral damage into society, into politics, meaning watch uh putin's speech which was like i don't know if this podcast is live uh, so but when we recorded this today this was two days ago um and uh there is clearly something has happened to that guy i'm not saying that he was sort of a better human being before but he seemed to be a more rational human being some years ago so in two years in isolation he's not meeting people not shaking hands that does something uh and i'm really worried about that speech because like there is definitely a mental health uh, angle as well so, so what I'm saying is like we, we're facing this this massive problem, um, which has again not just a human tragedy, but ripple down effects in in our societies, including politics whatsoever. So this should be our guiding principle: how to heal people uh, who really need it. Yeah, and what I want to say in terms of like indigenous use is like you need to heal people in their context. So, it if you would heal, let's say, if you take out let's say a people from, from Mexico yeah, or from any indigenous culture and would put that person into a modern hospital or to a modern doctor, it would maybe not be the right thing for that person, but it might also not be the right thing for somebody in New York yeah, or in, uh, let's say a 60 year old woman in Idaho yeah, uh, that she has a dancing shaman around her. She might really want the doctor who does a trip with her. So I don't, what I want to say, I don't think that always the past or the unknown can be adopted yeah we can learn from it yeah uh, but we should then bring it sort of in a framework which is suitable for the people in the respective sort of uh, society we want to treat them if that makes sense so so and again i do think the 60 year old woman or man or whatever in idaho doesn't want a dancing shaman Uh, this person wants a doctor whom he or she trusts um, and who does it and ultimately if i boil it down and I think what is actually a good therapist you can call it shaman you can call it a priest yeah you can call it a psychotherapist at the end it's a very good human being who's emotionally capable to guiding you through a trip and give you the emotional sort of support and confidence and help you with the integration after it's not magic yeah it's not something where you need certain tools you don't need to dance and sing ultimately you need to be a good human being and I think this can be very well done in a sort of more westernized setting with exactly the same 
the same output. Well, Christian, I could pick your brains all day, but unfortunately the clock has beaten us. So first and foremost, I'd like to say thank you so much for joining us on the Professionally Psychedelics podcast. Again, thanks for having me. And by the way, we can happily do it again, check in, talk about other facets of, uh, of mental health and psychedelics, or just check in in a year and see how we're doing. Like, I'm totally up for it. Thank you.